Hi, I'm Len App from LeanPub, and in this LeanPub podcast, I'll be interviewing Nick Hodges. Nick is based in Gilbertsville, Pennsylvania, and is currently Director of Product Management, Management at Embarcadero Technologies. He's also a conference speaker, a blogger, and of course, a book author. You can follow Nick on Twitter at Nick Hodges, and you can read his blog at codingindelphi.com slash blog. Nick is the author of three LeanPub books on the Delphi programming language, uh, Coding in Delphi, More Coding in Delphi, and most recently, Dependency, in, Dependency Injection in Delphi. In this interview, we're going to talk about Nick's uh, really diverse career, which includes an education in classical languages and work as a naval intelligence officer, and eventually work as a software development manager. Um, we'll also talk about his work on Delphi and his role in the Delphi community, his books, and at the end, we'll talk a little bit about his experience using LeanPub to self-publish. So thank you very much, Nick, for being on the LeanPub podcast. Oh, you're very welcome. It's my pleasure. Um, I always like to start these interviews by asking people for their origin story. Um, as I mentioned in the intro, you've had a pretty uh, interesting past doing lots of different things. And I was wondering um, uh, where you got started being interested in software. Well, um, probably back in the mid-70s, in seventh grade, um, we learned BASIC, which was the classic BASIC with line numbers, you know, 10, let A equal 1, 24, B equals 1 to 1,000, do this or whatever. And uh, we used uh, a computer at the University of Minnesota. I was, grew up in the suburb of Minneapolis. And it was the old, the original modem where you took the phone and jammed it into the cups on the thing. And I think it was 300 baud. And we used one of those old TTY machines and the tape and everything like that. And my friends and I loved programming so much, we, we actually started writing basic, very basic, lowercase basic um, adventure games. Like you're walking down the street and something happens to you, do you one, do this, two, do that. And that was about the extent of our skill in building games. But uh, that was the thing that kind of got the bug in me. And then I kind of lost that as we as I went through high school and into college. And... Um, then I joined the Navy, and uh, my first tour, second tour of duty, a friend of mine gave me a copy of Turbo Pascal 5.5 and a book, a big, thick book by Tom Swan. And that's when I really started in earnest with Pascal, and then, of course, followed that on with Delphi in 1995, and uh, been doing Delphi ever since, both as a naval officer and, and as a consultant and a developer and all kinds of different roles with, with regard to programming. I think people would probably be um, interested in hearing about what it's like to do a tour of shift duty uh, in the Navy. It's uh, it's not as bad as it sounds. Um, you get to go to a lot of cool and exotic places. I've been almost all the, almost all the way around the world. Um, I sailed all over the Pacific. Um, we worked hard. We worked, you know, 15, 16 hour days and uh, flight ops were going on all day. And uh, I was an intelligence officer, so I would brief and debrief pilots on what they did when they were out flying and what they saw and who they worked with and all that kind of thing. And uh, we watched Top Gun about 700 times. I don't know why, but they played Top Gun continuously on the TV screen in the ship. I was aboard the USS Midway. So an aircraft carrier? Yes, an aircraft carrier. I'm sorry, I should have made that no, clear really, that, earlier. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Um, how often, I'm curious about a couple of things. Um, uh, how often did you get to disembark? Um, probably about once a month we would pull into a port. Um, our, we, I wasn't on board during anything really interesting, 
Um, so we usually had pretty regular schedule and probably spent no more than about 28 or 30 days at sea. Although I had friends back in the, the some of my friends um, who were in the Navy back in the uh, original Iranian hostage crisis during the Carter administration who were at sea for eight straight months without pulling into a port. That was back in 79, I guess. And uh, so that was a big adventure for them, I'm sure. I don't think the ship smelled very good after that. Yeah, I can I can only imagine. Um, uh, I don't know the details about the Midway uh, aircraft carrier, but um, I'm curious. Was it a was it? I've heard about aircraft carriers with like you know they're floating cities with like two nuclear power plants and things like that. Was this along those lines? No, actually, the Midway was christened in uh, 1945, right at the end of World War II, and it's originally a battleship hull, which is kind of curious, and has led to some interesting history for the ship. But uh, she saw uh, she saw combat action in Korea and Vietnam, and then again in the Persian Gulf War. And uh, she has only two catapults and three wires, which is norm, uh, which is unusual. Um, uh, most of the big aircraft carriers have four catapults and four wires. But uh, you know, she she did the job and got the job done. We uh, we flew F-18s and uh, A-6s off of it. And uh, she's sitting in um, uh, San Diego now as a museum. And uh, curiously, the ticketing system that I worked on is one of my jobs is the ticketing system that they use to, uh, you know, admit people to the t- to the tours on the USS Midway. And um, uh, you studied classical languages, I believe, uh, in college. I did. And then it was um, after uh, you joined the Navy that then I think through a Navy training program, you got some formal IT training? I did. Uh, in the mid-90s, I went to the Naval Postgraduate School, which is far and away the best-kept secret in the Navy because you, uh, go, to, you go to school full-time, you're paid your regular pay, and uh, you don't have to wear your uniform very much, which is kind of nice. You wear uh, business attire to work, to the school. And uh, it was great. You're just a full-time student, and you didn't have to worry about money like you did back in college when you were a kid. And and uh, I studied information technology management right as uh, the Internet was bursting. I remember the IPO of Net, Netscape occurred right as we were near my nearing – right as I was nearing graduation. And uh, I set up an HTTPD server on my computer at home with my open IP address and just ran my own little website there. Back in the day when it was, um, you know, Unix running the internet, and uh, it was it was really a great time to be in school for information technology management. You know, Delphi came out. It was a great time for programming. Well, things were really bursting. Um, PC revolution was really at its height, and it was a really good time and really fun. Made some good friends and uh, learned a lot. It was really great. Um, I'm going to ask you a few more questions about that a little bit later when sure. we start talking about your books. But um, you have a blog, which I enjoyed uh, reading in preparation for the interview. Um, and I have a very selfish question, um, which is totally <laughs> switching gears, which is that in you have a funny blog post where you talk about 50 things you don't like. And, oh. <laughs> and, and you list um, the Lord of the Rings books. Oh, And I was wondering if you wouldn't mind explaining, because there's, I mean, I... They're so popular. It's it's. A- oh, I know. I I, I really want to like them. I do. I I've tried so hard to read them, but I just I can't get past Tom Bombadil. Every time I every time I try and read them, I get to about Tom Bombadil, and I have to put them down. I 
I, I apologize to all of those people out there listening who love Lord of the Rings. The movies were fun, um, but the books I just cannot get past Tom Bombadil. <laughs> it's um, it's inter- one of the reasons I was interested when I saw that in the list is that um, and I'll say this I guess providing cover for any fa- angry fans because they'll be more mad at me after <laughs> I say what I'm going to say. But um, they're poorly written. Um, my brother feels a little bit more strongly about this than I do, uh, but I kind of agree. Um, they're like a lot of very heavy, very heavy and dense and, 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 uh, I don't know how to describe it, but yeah, well, I'm glad you said that. So <laughs> yeah, it makes me feel I'll, better. <laughs> I'll, get the, I'll get the angry, angry Twitter, Twitter, uh, whatever. um, you've got another, uh, post where you talk about how people, are going to have to pay for bug fixes going yes. forward. And you talk yes. a little bit about the history of things being taken away, um, like, you know, free support and stuff like that. And yeah. I was wondering if you could explain what you're getting at in that post, because it's pretty interesting. Well, I mean, the title was meant to be a little provocative. I, I don't think people are going to necessarily enjoy paying for bug fixes, but I do think that the the industry is moving into a subscription model where you pay annually and you get everything that um, uh, the, the company releases. And, and for instance, in our case, we can do multiple releases per year with features in them and not have to worry. And this is getting a little esoteric, as I probably said in the post, but you don't have to worry about revenue recognition, which is a big problem for businesses, particularly public businesses, but for, for private businesses as well. Then, uh, uh, if you, I don't want to get into the minutia of it, but it's just very complicated to release new features with and ship a product and ship products um, with those new features in it over the course of a year. And subscription models allow you to ship features and not worry about all of that kind of thing because the revenue is spread out over the year, regardless of how you ship the product and what form you ship the product. And uh, as a result, you're sort of paying for the bug fixes because you're also paying for the features that you get as part of the subscription. And and I confess the title was a little provocative, but uh, it wasn't it was an interesting blog post to write because it it's, did suddenly occur to me that I probably won't mind or don't mind paying an annual subscription for a good set of software. Like the Adobe stuff is pretty pretty great software for the subscription model, and you're not paying that much. Yeah, yeah, I've got a, a subscription that I use actually, Audition, um, Adobe Audition for editing podcasts. Oh, um, there you go. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I remember myself when you know monthly subscriptions for software started becoming a thing that at least I was aware of. Um, it bugged me a bit at first, but you know, you get used to you know the slowly warming water. Um, Mm -hmm. so over time you can actually come to see some of the advantages of it and, you know, see it as more of a bath than a boiling frog or something like that. (laughs) Um, um, you got involved in, um, Delphi pretty early on. Is that correct? I did. I was on the original Delphi beta. Um, I was wondering if you could explain a little bit about, I mean, what makes the Delphi programming language unique to those who aren't aware of it, and just your your interesting story about how you got involved so early. Well, um, yeah, I was always, 
I, like I said, I started out with uh, Turbo Pascal for Windows. That was the first version I bought it back in Borland days, way back in Borland's heyday. And, um, you know, Pascal had always been overshadowed by C++ back in those days. But I enjoyed Pascal a lot better because I thought it was a much cleaner language, enjoyed the uh, readability of it. I like begin ends better than curly braces and whatnot. Um, and I feel like it was very strongly typed, which I really appreciated as I was learning. And that was, you know, sort of back in the day when strongly typed languages were new. And um, I was at the Navy Postgraduate School, which is in Monterey, California, which is another reason it's the best kept secret in the in the Navy, because that uh, is absolutely gorgeous there. I don't know if you've ever been out to mid, mid coast California. It's just beautiful there. It's about 85 and sunny 90% of the time, and then it rains a month for one month, and then it's 95 and 85 and sunny again. So it is a beautiful place, and uh, it, and of course it's about an hour south of Santa Cruz and Scotts Valley, where Borland was headquartered. And so I made some friends at Borland up there as I became more involved in the in the Pascal community, and uh, they had a picnic for their online CompuServe people. If you remember CompuServe, online service from way back where you had a number instead of a username. And um, I uh, I met the then product manager who uh, asked me what I was doing as a thesis at the Navy Postgraduate School as part of our conversation. And I said I was doing it on software development processes using RAD tools. And he goes, oh, you should get on the Delphi. I should put you on the, on the Delphi beta. And so... He got me on the beta, and the rest is history from there. I went on to become a Team B member, which provided online support, and then I became a Borland Advisory mem Board member doing the setting up and managing and running the Borland Conferences, the annual Borland Conference, and eventually I became an employee. And in your current role, um, do you do any coding, or are you, um, uh, I think you're managing a set of products. I'm the product manager for all of the Embarcadero tooling um inside that's so that means i'm the product manager for delphi c builder uh interbase and rad server which is uh the rad server is our newest product it's a uh, rest service server um uh i'm curious uh why you decided to start writing books well that's a good question i uh I started out thinking to myself that, I, I, you know, I'd written tons of blog posts. I've written a lot of articles. I've spoken at conferences. And I finally decided that I had something to say. And uh, so I decided, well, I can write a book. And then once I found out how easy it was to self-publish, I thought, well, I'll go ahead and write it. And if I sell one copy, I'll be happy. And fortunately for me, I sold quite a few bit more than one just one copy. And uh, that certainly piqued my interest in writing another one, which I did. And then now I've written a third one. Yeah. Your latest book, um, about dependency injection in Delphi, uh, I was wondering if you could, um, talk a little bit about what dependency injection is and why it's important. Sure. Uh, dependency injection is just a way to write loosely coupled code. And it, uh, it's really a, you know, $25 term for a 35 cent definition and the definition really is don't create or make anything or new up anything yourself. Allow the uh, caller to do that and always ask for what you want. Don't create what you want yourself. 
And that pushes the creation of things way back into the what's called the composition root of your application. And that causes your code to be very loosely coupled because its dependencies are on interfaces instead of implementations. And as I understand it, part of the purpose of loose coupling is to ensure that you don't have to make changes in two places when you could otherwise make them in one place? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's kind of it too. And it, a, a properly coupled, very loosely coupled system means that if you, it, you know, if you break some, if you, something breaks over in section A, it doesn't affect, and you make a change to fix it, it doesn't affect something over in section Z, which is far apart. Um, if you're tightly coupled, oftentimes a change in your code can ripple through the code base to many places that you don't expect so that like you pull on your ear and your foot pops up. Well, you don't want that to be the case, right? You don't want to pull on something in one part of your program and have it break something in another part of your program. So loosely, properly coupled, loosely coupled code allows you to ensure that changes to the code don't affect other modules. You talk in the book about a concept, um, which I hope I pronounced correctly, connaissance? Connaissance. Connaissance. Yeah, I was wondering yes. if you explain a little bit about that. Sure. In its simplest form, connaissance is just a definition for coupling and levels of coupling. And if I oh, – I'm going to embarrass myself. I think there's nine levels of connaissance. Did I get that right? Do you remember? Uh, I've got the book. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> um, uh, so let me just get it open. And um, connaissance is uh, uh, the concept of coupling. And and I thought it was important. I, I, I read – Actually, a book by Melier Page Jones from – actually, I have that book around here somewhere. Years ago – it was written in the late 80s, I think. And uh, he talked about connaissance. And it was uh, the only place I've ever seen it. Um, and then I did a little research, and there was a website called connaissance.io, and um, it discusses the, the concept of connaissance. And I thought it was important in a book – about decoupling to t talk about the definition of coupling and the ways that coupling can be more complex or less complex. Yeah, it sounded like a really good, um, a really good concept. I'm not, unfortunately, I'm not really seeing, I see something about a reference to the first five levels. So there are at least five. Uh, <laughs> I think five. it's nine. Yeah. I'm embarrassed that I don't remember. Um, uh, about your books um, and that decision to start writing, um, I was wondering uh, why you chose LeanPub. Well, I chose LeanPub because it was pathetically easy to use. That's the main reason. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, good to hear. <laughs> I started out writing my books in Scrivener because my dad has used Scrivener for many years. And Scrivener would not allow me to post formatted code. And I hunt, and uh, obviously, if I'm going to post a book about Delphi, I need to be able to format code inside, you know, post code chunks and chunks of formatted code inside of uh, uh, the, the book. And I started hunting around and I ran across LeanPub and LeanPub uses, I believe, Pigment as its code formatter and it had Delphi as an option. And then I discovered that everything was written in markup so I didn't have to worry about Word documents or anything like that. And uh, I found a decent markup editor and I just started writing, and it was really, really easy to do. Um, the publishing side of the book, I, I tell everybody that asks that 
97% of the work is writing the book and 3% of it was doing the self-publishing part of it just because lean pubs so powerful and easy to use. Yeah, you're, I don't want to sound like a commercial, but no, I am no, kind no. of a commercial. That's okay. well, thanks. <laughs> um, actually, uh, there was one. Oh yeah. We do use pigments, um, uh, for code. Um, uh, one thing that you mentioned in the beginning of your first book coding in Delphi is that you intended to update the book, um, as the technology evolved. And that, that is kind of, I was very happy to see that that was at least your intention because that is for us like a canonical use of something like LeanPub where you can issue releases um, mm -hmm. whenever you want. And that in particular for technology books that might be about something that's evolving, um, then having a kind of living book is something yeah, that we really believe in. That's very powerful. And, and uh, I haven't taken advantage of that as much as I could because I, I also published my books hard copy and, uh, you know, well, paperback anyway. Um, and so I haven't wanted to get those two out of sync too much, but I have made corrections to the books and published new versions, a couple new versions of particularly coding in Delphi. And I think I'm going to publish a new version of, uh, dependency injection in Delphi because I have a, I want to include the bio of my tech reviewer in it. And I neglected, I neglected to do that. So it is a nice ability to be able to republish very, very easily and very quickly. And um, how did you go about, I'm sure some of the uh, authors or aspiring authors listening might be interested to hear about how you went about making uh, paperback copies of your book and getting them up on Amazon. Well, I uh, used CreateSpace and I used the printer friendly version that you guys provide, which is very, very useful. And uh, I literally took me an afternoon to get it, put the book up on CreateSpace. I bought, I, uh, I bought my own ISBNs which is kind of a racket if you ask me, but I think I have a hundred ISBNs that I, uh, that I had to either buy, buy them in the groups of 10 or a hundred or 500 or something like that. And uh, given that each individual book version, the Mobi, the EPUB, the PDF and the print book have to have their own, I own ISBNs. I'm the proud owner of a hundred ISBNs. <laughs> And, um, you know, just getting the ISBN in there, getting the cover worked up, the back cover, the, the side panel, and all that was pretty easy, mainly because my wife and daughter are very good at it, and they helped me with that kind of thing. But even the CreateSpace part was pretty easy, and particularly since you guys provided that printer-friendly version, which is very helpful. Yeah, we have a, a print-ready PDF output option that we developed over time, you know, in in connection with the authors who were using it because they wanted something that they could just click a button and then that's what I upload, you know, to, um, uh, Lulu or create space or whatever. And so that's, right. that's, that was our, our goal. Um, and what, Oh, go, go ahead. No, sorry. I was just going to say one of the things that the print ready version does is it, it provides differing margins on even and odd pages and it ensures that chapters start on the right and all that kind of stuff. And it's very, very nice. Very well done. I'm curious uh, if um, you're the type of author for whom contact with readers is important. Did you encourage people to contact you if they found typos or had suggestions? I did. I put my put my email address in the book, I believe. I hope I did. <laughs> if I didn't, it's it's nickhodges at gmail.com. Um, did you, did you, have you received a lot of emails over the last couple of years? 
I have, and I, I have between the email and the Google Plus group that I've formed for the for my books, I've gotten quite a bit of feedback from my customers, and they've been pretty happy with the book. Um, a lot of positive feedback from it, and uh, not too many typos over the over the course of the books. But and and how did the Google Plus group work out? That was really nice. I still get people joining up almost every day. I've got over a thousand people there. And uh, I just keep them updated on the news. People ask questions, um, anything that's going on. Every time I publish, every time I publish a new book, I put it in there, and that's helped. Um, it's just some neat, just nice little community of people. I'm pretty. The Delphi community is is a, a vibrant development community. Um, it isn't as big as it used to be, but it's certainly still very vibrant, vibrant and vocal. And maybe virulent at times too, but you know. <laughs> um, I guess my uh, my last question is: um, if there were one thing we could build for you, or one thing we could improve, is there anything you can think of along those lines? Um, I would like a WYSIWYG Markdown editor, as as contradictory as that seems. Markdown is supposed to be human readable, but it would be kind of cool to have a WYSIWYG Markdown editor or Markua for you guys. But that's now small undertaking, I'm guessing. Uh, it is. We do definitely want to have a WYSIWYG editor. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting that, um, you know, for people who are accustomed to markup, um, writing in Markdown is, or LeanPub flavored Markdown or in the future in Markua, um, it just comes totally naturally to them and mm -hmm. using lean pub is the easiest, greatest thing. Um, uh, well, yeah, indeed it's it is. easy and good. Um, I don't, but, um, uh, <laughs> for non-technical people, even hearing words like markdown or, or markup or, you know, anything yes. like that is really, um, daunting and just sort of has it, it it just immediately the way a lot of non-technical people relate to technical things like that it's just like invokes a negative feeling about what you would have to face in order to learn it and then do it um and we really want to be welcoming to everyone um and so having a WYSIWYG editor is something that we definitely want to provide for people um so that yeah. Hub can be a place for Everyone, not just um, really smart programmers. <laughs> I understand. You want to expand your market. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, um, I wanted to say uh, thanks very much, uh, Nick, for being on the Lean Pub podcast. I really you're very welcome. This. Um, and uh, thanks for being a Lean Pub author. You're very welcome. I'm I'm pleased to be so.